right. Well, if you have your Bible, let's get to it. We are in the book of First Peter. I know most of you know uh, we just started a new series in First Peter. We're calling our series Sojourn, which is really just taken out of uh, the, the text, uh, really there in the first chapter. And uh, if you need to borrow a Bible, thank you guys. If you need to borrow a Bible, you guys can raise your hand and everyone's good. All right. Last week, we started the series. If you were, weren't with us, I invite you to check out the podcast and the live stream and those things where we have that recorded. Uh, we, we, we did a simple overview of the letter of 1 Peter, just some simple outline, but then we, we dived or dove a little deep. We stood in the doorway, as we called it, right, of just the, the letter itself at verse 1 of chapter 1 where Peter introduces himself as the author. Uh, then we looked at the label he used to describe his audience. And so it's the writer and the readers, Peter and pilgrims. And so this morning, in many ways, we're still going to just stand at the doorway. Uh, this is still his introduction. But verse 2, and we're going to unpack all of verse 2, uh, one verse Sunday this morning. But it is spring-loaded with some um, important and, I, I would say, um, yeah, vital truths for us to know and grasp as believers of Jesus, as followers of Christ. And, and again, I realize as we get going, we, we, we're moving slow, right? One verse last week, one verse today. Uh, but I want to say that is by design. Uh, I, I believe it's important for us as we study the scripture to take and I'll use these two words, an intentional, but also an intensive look at what Peter has written, especially in this verse. Because there are some truths here that he will amplify through the letter. And so we'll, we want to make sure, let's at least build a foundation of what he's talking about. Uh, and he'll amplify, he's going to add much more to explain to us and illustrate for us what he's talking about. But for our time this morning, we're going to consider five um, observations, or I'll call them key truths, uh, five truths that about us. I mean, they're anchored in who Christ is. They're anchored in what Christ has done for us, but they are statements that are true about us. So uh, if you are there at 1 Peter, I invite you to stand. We'll read verse 1 and 2 just to keep our context so, and then, again, Peter, inspired of the Holy Spirit, pens these words. He introduces himself, and now he's going to use a different label to describe his reader. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, your translation may say sojourners or strangers, of the dispersion, they've been scattered, they're exiled, in these geographic regions of Pontus, Pontus, excuse me, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Here's the second label, descriptor, elect. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Then in sanctification of the Spirit. Then in obedience or for obedience in the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And those three statements are really, again, just spring-loaded with some important truths. 
And then his salutation, grace to you and peace be multiplied. All right, so we're going to spend our morning unpacking these things. Take a moment, say hello to somebody, greet a neighbor or somebody new, and then you can have a seat. I can tell all the guys that went fishing that didn't bring sunblock. The Shekinah glory is upon you. (laughs) Some of you guys know over the holidays, uh, my wife had the blessing and opportunity to go stateside, and she hung out with her folks and my three older kids. So that left Ben and I alone. We survived, praise God. (laughs) And uh, and many of you, knowing that, very graciously um, extended invitation to hang out or come to your place. Thank you. Uh, Where we ended up landing was over at the Garrickies. And uh, and so Scott and Sarah had us over along with a few others who are actually here this morning. Um, And we had a great time, great great food, great company. Um, By by the way, kind of Calvary uh, life hack pro tip. Uh, be friends with the Garrickies. They are amazing cooks, <laughs> uh, amazing people. But uh, as we got to go, we sat around the table in the usual, like there's some folks that we knew from church. We didn't know them that well. And so we began to have some small talk and, and just getting to know each other. And then Sarah at one point grabs this jar and, and I love what she had. It was just sitting there and in the jar were uh, papers of r- various questions icebreakers, we call them in English, right? I don't know if there's a Japanese equivalent to icebreaker. but um, And so we each pulled out a piece of paper, and it was just a simple question, and we took turns, you know, sharing the answers to these questions. What's your ideal vacation? Uh, what's one thing on your bucket list that you want to accomplish? Uh, who's your childhood hero? And so it was, it was fun. It was neat to uh, hear the answers and get to share these things with people. And it was just one way to get to know each other a little bit better. This morning, as we, we gather here in the house of the Lord, uh, we get to learn some interesting things about us. Uh, it's not necessarily questions that we will answer, but they're answers that God provides to the questions that maybe just of life that we often have. Who am I? Uh, what is the purpose of my life? What happens to me uh, after you know, we, we die. I mean, Peter is going to provide a lot of those answers. Scripture provides those answers. But here in verse 2 of chapter 1, we get to discover some things about us. I don't know if they're fun, but we might say they're fundamental. Uh, and they are certainly foundational of every believer of Christ. And so if you name the name of Jesus Christ this morning, hopefully this will resonate with you, hopefully encourage you, and we get to discover some things about us. So this is a, a way of quick review. Remember that in the opening verse, even as we read of Peter's letter, he referred to his readers as pilgrims uh, or sojourners. They have been scattered across the land in this diaspora or dispersion. And then he gives a, a geographic description. And so in one sense, he's describing them geographically uh, which was true of the original audience. They are living in these various regions and was today Turkey or Asia Minor. And so Peter describes them one way geographically. Uh, there's also a, a lens in which he describes them, we might call it sociologically. They are exiles. They are aliens. They're foreigners. They're gaijin. They are, uh, you know, resident aliens who are living in a foreign land. 
And, and we noted together as we considered that label that, that in many ways we can relate to them. Although we're not living in Turkey today, although we, not all of us are resident aliens, though many of us are, um, we can still relate. Right? The Bible describes us as pilgrims. The, the Bible describes us as sojourners. Paul uses the descriptor that uh, we are not of this world. In fact, our true citizenship is of heaven. We might have earthly passports that we all have. We travel, we get stamped, and we get to go places. But if you name the name of Jesus Christ this morning, what is true of all of us is we have a, a heavenly, we have a spiritual passport. Right? We are citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20. And so you and I then are the strangers. You and I then are the sojourners. And we're on temporary assignment, right? We're on TDY here on planet Earth. And, and to use some of our military language, there's going to be a day, though, one day soon, I believe, where you're going to get your final orders issued. And we're going to have our last PCS from this side of eternity into eternal life. So Peter uses the label, the terms pilgrim and sojourner, describes them geographically, and it describes them sociologically. And we might even say it describes them spiritually, and he'll develop that. He'll use the same term later on in chapter 2. But now, when we get to verse 2, he introduces another term, and we might then label this as a theological descriptor. He describes us theologically, and he uses the term elect. We're exiles on earth, and yet we are the elect of heaven. And notice the whole phrase, though, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, elect. When I was in elementary school, there were a number of things that I uh, particularly didn't care for. I would say even in the category of I dreaded, I hoped it wouldn't happen. Uh, one of those things was to be picked last. Uh, anytime there was any kind of lineup, whether it was for sports or debate or whatever it might have been. That was one of them. And the other thing that I dreaded, especially if we were playing basketball, was to be on the skins team, right? Because <laughs> sixth grade wasn't ready for my manscape. I was at the, you know. And so nobody, at least my friends, liked to be picked last. Even if you're second to last, you're okay. Like, whoo, I wasn't last, right? <laughs> but whether it was dodgeball or debate or... Remember playing, you guys remember playing heads up, seven up? Do they still play that game, right? Even being picked for that, which you don't have no skill, right? You just, <laughs> being picked last. Scripture and Peter reveal something wonderful and remarkable about God and about you. You ready? God picked you. God picked you. You are God's elect. And that word means to be chosen, selected, picked out. And I want you for a moment, because it can seem like just words on a page, just let that sink in and soak in your heart for a little bit. That God chose you. That God selected you. You're not a consolation. You're not the last option to choose from. It's not like the dread of our high school yard days. God didn't come to the lineup and be like, oh, well, I guess you're left. Come on. Now listen, Here's what's true about you. If you know Jesus Christ, you're chosen by the Lord. 
in his great love, he picked you by his grace, he picked you, and you were chosen by God. And we'll talk a little bit, but Peter will develop this on purpose and for a purpose. Right? Your life has purpose. So God picked you on purpose and for a purpose. He handpicked you, if, we can, if I can illustrate it this way, to be on his team. Now, some of you know that my son gets to play for the UQ Kings uh, under-18 basketball team. And some of you also know that uh, he had never played organized basketball ever. And so it came as a huge shock. It was a wonderful surprise. We call it a, a, a tremendous gift of grace that he was even allowed to be considered to be part of the team. Now, in all fairness, a big part of that, a major part of that is actually due to Isaiah Lopez, who is a phenomenal player who advocated for Ben and convinced his coaches at least to see him. And the other part of it is uh, he, you know, he's, he's tall, especially for a Japanese team, you know, right? He's tall for his age. And so when he was allowed to be part of the team, we were floored, even him, like, I can't believe it. And we really considered a gift of God's grace, this amazing privilege and experience that he gets to have because he isn't and wasn't as skilled as the rest of the players. And he'll admit, and I appreciate his humility, he, he's still learning the plays. He still has some fundamentals he's trying to learn. But here's one thing that's true about him. He's on the team. And, uh, and like the other players, he got issued a uniform. And like the other players, he has a team number. And like the other players, he gets some extra team gear, which he calls his drip. (laughs) And so no one can say, oh, you're not part of the team. See, even in his performance or lack of skill or lack of performance, even though it's not perfect, it doesn't change the fact that he's on the Kings U18 team in this season. And to be elect and chosen by God means God picked you, not because of your performance, not because of your skill set, solely because of his grace, solely because he loved you. And, and he put you on his team. It had nothing to do with how you performed. And by the way, it has nothing to do with how you perform after as well. Paul writes this truth for us in Ephesians chapter 2, and he phrases it this way, that for by grace you and I have been saved through faith. And it is the gift of God. God chose you. God picked you. And he goes on to say, not of our works, not because you performed well, not because you did better than others, not because you rated it or you earned it, not of our works. It is solely on God. That way none of us could boast or brag. God chose you. And dear Christian this morning, listen, no one can say otherwise. Peter adds this really interesting aspect to that, that God picked you, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. That word in the original Greek, it's a compound Greek word, it's related to the word in English, prognosis. Pro meaning before and gnosis of knowledge. It's a, it's a foreknowledge. It's a, 
It implies a prearrangement, a pre-knowing. It even implies a pre-purposing. See, God didn't choose you by random. It wasn't a blind, like, let me just throw a dart at this board and see what it hits. It wasn't by happen chance. You know, there's a tradition or a custom, retail custom in Japan around New Year's and after New Year's. You can go to some of the department stores, and a lot of different places are getting in on it now, where you can buy these bags that are typically sealed. And in English, we call them lucky bags. But in Japanese, they're a fuku bukuro. And, you know, they're usually a set price, and they're supposed to kind of be like a mystery. Although sometimes you go and people like, you know, <laughs> you can like look in like, yeah, I don't want that one. <laughs> they had them at Mr. Donut. You can't go wrong. Like, <laughs> I buy all of them. They're all a winner, you know. <laughs> but I usually don't buy those things. I'm like, ah, oh, like, you know, you're hoping you get a good deal. So we're not like lucky bags to the Lord. He isn't like, well, I'm going to, I hope I picked a good one with uh, LJ. I don't know. We'll see, right? God doesn't say that. God already knew. And here's here's the mind-bending thing. The Lord already knew that you weren't perfect. God already knew and God already knows that we're not going to walk and follow him perfectly that we're going to mess up and goof up and trip up, right? And yet, the Lord still picked you. He wanted you to be part of his team. Actually, that doesn't even do it justice. God wanted you to be part of his family. It's such a great portion of scripture. I, I read it all through first service. I, why don't you turn to Ephesians 1? I so tempted to read all of it. Well, we have no third service. Let's do it. Right? <laughs> Yumi-san knows where I'm going to, so I can talk maybe a little faster. Ephesians 1. You know what I love about Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2? You guys ever seen those uh, weight loss program things and they have like the before picture and the after picture? Right? Sometimes some of you guys, we have the same shirt and I'll walk in and I'm like, oh, I'm like the before picture and you're like the after picture, right? <laughs> This is the before and after picture of our life. Who we used to be. We once walked. Ephesians 2. But all of that's because of Ephesians 1. (laughs) Everything that God did. Everything that Jesus did. In our time, we don't have a, you know, we have two Bible studies today. Just note with me, in Christ and in him, how many times it says that. We'll start at verse 2, or verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right? You have a spiritual ATM card, and you and I can withdraw as much and all that we need from the Lord. He's chose us. He chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world, before even you were a twinkle in your parents' eye, before even the world was formed, that God chose you. And we'll see, and Peter will develop the same thought, that we would be holy without um, blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus Christ, to himself, according to his good pleasure, 
Verse 6, so the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Then in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. God opens and opened our eyes and our heart. It pleased him to do so, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, in a big phrase, in the dispensation of the fullness of time. Basically, God has a divine timeline he is working on. We, we have the hope of heaven. He's going to gather together in one all things in Christ, both that are in heaven and that which are on earth in him. In him we also obtain an inheritance, being predestined. There's that word again. According to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. But then notice this, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, like someone presented the gospel to you as the gospel of your salvation. And then in whom also believed, we then were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a type of living guarantee of our inheritance, sealed until the day of redemption of the purchased possession, that's you and me, once again to the praise of his glory. Such a good section, isn't it? All of this means that God planned it. He knew what he wanted to do, and he put it in motion. The foreknowledge of God the Father. Before the world began, that he chose you to be his kids, to adopt you and me to be his own. And guess what? It pleased God to do that. And all of that identity, we get to share then in this heavenly inheritance that awaits us. We're sealed and promised by the giving of the Holy Spirit that comes into our lives. And one of his roles for us is to then be a a living guarantor and guardian of our hearts. I mean, and as many of these spiritual truths that boggle the brain, that he chose us, we've been predestined, he knew what he wanted to do. There is discussion and there is debate about the method and the mechanics of this reality. And if you've been in some church for some time, you know this already. And you already know that there are isms and groups and I'll call it man-made labels and titles that people rally around when it comes to uh, these type of doctrines, especially when it comes to the doctrine of predestination, God's election, and how does that fit? What does that look like against man's responsibility? Our part in this. We don't have time this morning to unpack all of that. I'll offer this. Men and women much smarter than me much more spiritual than I have, have long debated these things. And it still remains a topic of debate. 
And I think it's good to have discussion and debate about theological things and doctrine. There's a place for that. I think what we have to be careful, though, is that those debates have often turned into division. Where one side then uh, disparages the other. I'll just share this, and I have to qualify it. Today, today I believe. In this season of my life, as I study the scripture, this is what I believe. That I believe that the word of God teaches us God's election, God's predestination. We can't escape that. We read that in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, we're in 1 Peter. It, we're told plainly, we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. But I also believe that we have a responsibility to respond, to reject or receive these things. And so for me, today in this season, I viewed it like two sides of one coin. We present one side, I'm like, yep, I see, I'm tracking, I agree, I don't debate, I don't argue that, I, I see all those things. But I think then there's another side. And for me, I find that I align most with what Spur Charles Spurgeon said. And so bear with me, I'm going to read his quote, and it's a little bit long, and you know, it's uh, King James E, like, you know, his, the way he speaks. But here's the quote, quote, that God predestines that man is responsible are two things that few can see. They are believed to be inconsistent and contradictory, but they're not. It is just the fault of our weak judgment. Two truths cannot be contradictory to each other. If then I find taught in one place that everything is foreordained, Spurgeon says that's true. And if I find in another place that man's responsible for all his actions, he says that is true. And he goes on to say, it's my folly that leads me to imagine that those two truths could ever contradict each other. It's these two truths, he says, I don't believe that could ever be welded upon any human anvil but they shall be in eternity. There are two lines that are so nearly parallel that the mind shall pursue them furthest, will never discover they converge. And he says, but they do converge. And they will meet somewhere in eternity, close to the throne of God, whence all truth doth spring. I would submit to you that even... In Ephesians 1, after describing everything that God has done for us, the fact that you and I are in Christ, we're in Him, and all of the blessings we have in Him that we've been, we have been chosen, right? We, we, we have been adopted. God predestined us. God, we have obtained an inheritance. All of these wonderful, beautiful things. And then in verse 12 and 13, he says, then, and then you who then trusted in Christ, when you then heard and trusted after you heard. So there's debate about mechanics and methods. I believe it's the Spirit of the Lord that opens our eyes and opens our hearts to the truth. To me, there's a part very clear that God does. It's independent of us, and there's a part that we then respond to. And let me add this. The fact that God then knows, preordained, pre-chose, predestined who's going to be saved, 
it does not include then a preclusion. It doesn't preclude then from anyone coming to God through faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that whomsoever, and I realize there are those who might not qualify whomsoever, or define that. In Revelation 22, verse 17, it says, Whoever will may come freely and drink of the water of life. So today, I believe, when the message of the gospel goes forth and an invitation of the gospel goes forth, uh, it is the work of the Spirit that draws our heart. And if someone responds to that and says, I, I'm a sinner, I need to get right with God, and you come to the Lord, the Lord doesn't say, oh, sorry, that wasn't intended for you. By no means is he going to reject or re, you know, uh, prohibit any of us from coming to the Lord. So these things, predestination and foreknowledge, that's God's business. It never precludes anybody from coming to Christ. Pastor Chuck Smith, who is credited for being the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, he used to say, how, how do I know or how does a person know they're chosen by the Lord? And his response was, well, choose God. God enabled you to choose him. That's how you know that you're chosen. So how do you know that you're chosen? Well, choose God which I like. I take great comfort, and I hope that you would too, of mind and spirit to know that God chose you. God chose you. And his great love for his great purpose, predestined before the foundation of the world, the Lord elected you. He knew what he was doing. He didn't make a mistake in picking you. And nobody can tell you that you're not on the team. You can turn back to 1 Peter. Here's another lofty thing he adds. In sanctification of the Spirit. And when God picked you, he didn't say, hey, before I pick you, you're a little bit messy and dirty. So why don't you go get your life cleaned up first? Why don't you go figure some things out? And then once you take this test, if you can get about a B pass this skills test and see how you do with some your nunchuck skills and your woodworking skills, right? <laughs> then we'll consider. No. God says, you come as you are. Broken, junky, messy, messed up, rejected, jacked up, all the other synonyms that go with that. You guys ever been into some of the recycle shops here in Okinawa? There's one near my house. It's called Hard Off. And in that place, there's this, these bins that are, and it just says junk in Japanese, junku. It's all the broken, random things. And so when my kids would go, and I'm like, that's where you shop. That's the part, you know. <laughs> and one time, Becca found a working Polaroid camera. It's like, all right. Score, 100 yen, good job. You know. So we're, we're like the stuff in the junk, the junk bins. That was our life. And God came and he said, I want you. Broken, junky, messed up. And in many ways, the gospel portrays that he then purchased you. When no one else would see value in you, or even sometimes we didn't see value in ourselves, no, God saw that. 
redeemed you, loved you, bought you, purchased you. And what does he do? He loves you and me so much that he doesn't leave us that way, though. So he brings us into, if you will, his workshop. Places the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, inside of you and me. And he begins to work in us. Oh, there's going to be a final PCS that we move from this life to eternity, but the Bible also describes when we came to salvation, there was a PCS that happened in our life, right? We, we were transferred, we were uh, conveyed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And all the wonderful ways that our salvation is described, that's one of them, right? We've been rescued out of our old life, out of the world, out of sin, and then brought into the family of God. Another way that's described is justification. We've been justified because of what Christ has done. And it's a great play on words in English. It doesn't quite work in Japanese, right? Just if I'd never sinned. That's the idea. Sanctification is if justification, if you look at it this way, we've been saved out of the world and out of sin. Sanctification is then to get sin in the world out of us. And it is this process, a process of grace. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that sanctifies you and works in you and works in me. So this is, we'll just say it simply this way. We'll kind of widen the aperture if I can. There's a lot of great application for it. You have the Spirit of God inside of you, and He works in you and through you and with you. Because God loves you, He doesn't leave us the same. And we can come with all of our baggage and all of our junk and all of our mistakes. God already knows. God saw. You know, when Ben was picked to be part of the King's team, as I mentioned, he didn't, you know, he didn't, he's, didn't have a lot of skill set. But they didn't leave him like that. The coaches and his fellow players, man, very patiently and very graciously worked with him, invest in him to make him a productive, contributing member of the team. And in the same way, God put us on his family team, and, and he doesn't leave us that way. Oh, we all have the uniform. We've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We get to bear his name. But in God's great grace, not only are we saved, God's great grace, we're being sanctified. The Spirit's working in you and through you and with you. And, and we're not perfect yet, yet we're being perfected. And that is the process of sanctification. <laughs> A journey of faith that we're on. And we work in harmony then with the prompting of the Spirit. Whereas the Spirit speaks and leads and prompts and convicts, we then are to yield, surrender. So the Bible says we can actually grieve Him. We can resist Him. And yet we don't want to do that. And as I mentioned earlier, Peter is going to give us more life, spiritual life coaching on all of this. What does that look like to be sanctified? He's going to give us practicals to gird up the loins of our mind, 
Uh, let's love each other with a fervent love, he's going to say. He's going to say, let's put aside all malice and trash talking and lying and all of these things. Let's not be conformed to our former way of living. And so we'll have more. Peter will give us some spiritual life coaching and develop this more. But he reminds us that the gift of God's grace is the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. When God called you to himself, he then gives you the gift of the Spirit to enable us to do what God's called us to do. Who was here when I told the, my Christmas story about the, the cookbook that I got? Anybody here? Oh, half of you. Should I tell it? To, no. I have another story some of you have heard before. Poor Noah Green. Welcome back, Noah. He's probably heard all of these stories. So, uh, I'm dating Christy, and uh, it's Christmas time, and I get invited to her house Christmas morning, go over, and this is how I knew I was in with the family. They do Christmas stockings in the morning, that's their tradition, and I, and I had one, and it was embroidered. It wasn't puffy paint like her other boyfriends. <laughs> Got my own. And so the usual, they're emptying stockings, and so you're emptying stockings, and Christy's mom, so, you know, she's so, she's so great. It's gum, it's chocolates, you know, it's Tootsie Rolls, all those yummy things, but it's also floss, and it's toothbrushes and toothpaste, right? <laughs> out, of the, out of my stocking that morning, though, popped a package of batteries. Initially, I'm like, batteries? But my deductive reasoning skills detective. I'm like, oh, I know. Something under the tree needs batteries. And I was right. It was one of those personal nose hair trimmer things. I don't know what her parents were trying to tell me, but I was grateful. Used cookbook and a nose trimmer thing. But you know, they, they got me the gift, but they also provided me the batteries for it. Like both things were provided. Listen, God gifts us and God calls us to his work. And guess what? He gives you the batteries to do it in the person of the Holy Spirit. God provides the power source. We don't have to figure it out by ourselves. He gives us his, himself in the person of the Spirit so that we can live a life of holiness, so that we can do the works of the Lord. And Ephesians chapter 2 goes on to say that we then walk in the good works that God had prepared even beforehand. And what does that look like? Well, he goes on to say, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. God chose you, God called you, God empowers you. For what purpose? Peter just tells us broadly, obedience. You guys ever have a pet, you got to take them to obedience training? The Holy Spirit is our obedience training. <laughs> But I need to qualify it. You ready? That we would live a life in obedience to Jesus Christ, the Son. But understand obedience then is really an extension of His love. And that is a key. It is an extension of His love. Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. John 14, 15. And so you and I, if you name the name of Jesus Christ this morning, we are called to a loving obedience to Jesus Christ. 
And that's an important qualifier, right? A loving obedience, not legalism, not religion. You know, before I was a Christian, I mean, people, I'd hear Christians say, oh, I don't believe in religion, I have a relationship. And I used to think, that's weird, that's the same thing, isn't it? But now I realize, no, they're, they're, there's a delineation. Here's the delineation, right? We, as the world defines re- religion, and I think often as we define it, it's the, it's the idea that we, we have to work and do something, and then God will be happy, will please God. And so, you know, works are done then for God's favor to earn it for God's love. That's religion. Relationship is the opposite of that. Right? Right? Relationship inverts that. Well, God first loved us. That's why we love the Lord. He first loved us. And, and God, who loved us first, demonstrated that by sending his son, Jesus, to live and die for you and me, even while we're yet sinners, right? Even when I had nothing to do with the Lord. And so it's because God loves us and we come to realize the love of God and we live then in the love of God, then we then want to do and follow and worship and obey the Lord. We don't earn God's love. It's given. We, we get to experience it. We can receive it. And it's displayed in a shocking way that God would love you and me so much that he'd sacrifice his only son for you and for me. In that relationship, it, it again, I, sometimes if we've heard it so many times, it can become, you know, it's almost like it gets a little dull, right? Like, let that sink in fresh and anew again in your heart. That picture of the enormity of God's love, which, you know, we really don't have the fullness of it, right? It's just, it's, an, it's exampled in this relationship so we can at least have some relation, relate to it. I, I can relate to it in this degree. I, I, I think I can honestly say I love you guys. Like, I look forward to seeing you every week and our team here, we, we pray for our church, we pray for you, and, and I pray that you experience the fullness of all that God has for you. And so I, I feel like I can be honest to stand before you and say, I, I love you. And I usually end that way, right? When we close, like, hey, I love you guys. So I, I feel like I'm sincere when I say that, but let me add this qualifier. I don't love you enough that I would kill my kid for you, right? Like, if it came down to, like, your life and my kid's life, I'd be like, I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> uh, you know, tell Jesus hi. <laughs> Yet God, God loved us that much. You realize that? that? That's how much God loved you, though. That even when you had nothing to do with him. Oh, it's, it's easy to love lovable people. <laughs> when we're unlovable and unlovely, that's amazing. See, we don't do things for the love of God. We do them from the love of God. When I was younger, I had a chore list in elementary school. You know, pick up your toys, you know, and wash the dishes and these things. And it was on my fridge. You know, Ricky will do this. And as I got older, after my parents split, then, you know, it was mow the lawn and watch your brother and 
Um, if I didn't, when my mom was around, uh, she tried to motivate me by uh, beating me with her, her flip-flops, right? <laughs> She'd get her zodis and chase me with her zodis, and, and she could throw her chanclas like, uh, like uh, ninja stars. Right? <laughs> when I became an adult, uh, and I'd go visit my mom before she passed, and she, you know, she had a good, hard fight with cancer, and I'd go and visit her, and sometimes just, especially in her latter years, you know, she just didn't have a lot of energy, and so there'd be dishes in the sink that were dirty, and, and sometimes her apartment would be a little untidy, and she'll have clothes that were, you know, left out on the line a little too long, and she just didn't have the energy. And so I'd go, and I'd wash her dishes, and I would sweep up and mop, and I would grab the clothes and put them. It wasn't because there was a chore list on the fridge and she's going to throw her, you know, flip-flops at me. It's because I was her son and I loved her. And it, and it blessed me to be able to be a blessing to her. I didn't do it for her love. I already had her love. I did it from love. And, and, and this is such an important part of our Christian life. We, we get this wrong so often. As though we have to relate to God based upon performance. No? Obedience, yes. But obedience out of love. John says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. It wasn't a burden for me to wash dishes and help pick up my, you know, it's work, but it wasn't a burden. Right? It's a blessing. Peter includes this really interesting aspect too. He says, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a weird phrase. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctified through the Holy Spirit, for obedience in the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's an Old Testament reference, and Peter is going to have a few of them as he writes this letter. And, and the idea of sprinkling of blood in the Old Testament, it happened in three ways. The first was when... Moses came down and they, uh, what's the word I want to look for? Inaugurated the, the old covenant, the Mosaic law. There was a ceremony that took place and they would make a sacrifice. They take the blood and Moses had to sprinkle it on the, the altar, on the scroll, the book of the law, and then he also on the people. And that inaugurated, that ushered in this new co this covenant that God had with the people. The second time was... When Aaron and his sons, as high priests, were ordained and brought in as priests, they were sprinkled with blood. And the third, which is slightly unusual, it was if you had leprosy and, and, and you received healing and you would go and show yourself to the priest, they would commemorate that or, or acknowledge that by the sprinkling of blood this cleansing that took place. I, I submit to you that Peter using this phrase encompasses all, all of those ideas for us as followers of Christ today. It's by his blood that we've been brought into a new covenant of grace. Forgiven no longer by the, 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 the shedding of, of sacrifice of animals and sheep and those things, but as Peter will tell us, Jesus Christ, our perfect spotless lamb, our Passover lamb. Peter also say that we then now 
through the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. We are a royal priesthood. God has ordained us as the church to bring forth his message of hope and grace. And then that last unusual picture, you know, lepers, if you had leprosy, you were rejected. You couldn't be part of community. The Bible talks about how we were far off one time, but because of the blood of Christ, we've been brought near. Right? Hebrews, I believe. We, are, we were spiritual lepers, if you will. Our sin kept us far away. But through the sacrifice of Christ, we've been forgiven. And not just our past, but the idea of this is it's an ongoing, it's present, and it's future. And so the way that we want to phrase it is that one of the things that we have as followers of Christ is we have this continual forgiveness through Jesus Christ. John says in 1 John 1, 9, right, our spiritual soap, and as believers, when we sin, and we do, right, that if we confess our sins, we acknowledge them, we repent from them, we, we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's powerful. By the way, notice with me, Peter mentions all three persons of the Godhead in this one verse. Elect by God the Father, sanctified by God the Spirit, forgiven and left, uh, led into a life of loving obedience of Jesus Christ, you know, God the Son. And then his salutation. <laughs> we'll end with his beginning. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Peter greets his readers, the similar greeting that Paul would use. In fact, history says it was a common greeting of that day. Kind of like, what's up or hello? A little more formal than that. But incorporated some cultural components. Grace in the Greek is the word charis. We get the word charity from. And then peace in Hebrew is shalom. Greeting that they would have. And so it was this Merging of these cultures is a way to greet people. And often we find them together in Scripture. Paul uses the greeting often. Peter uses it. Pastor Chuck would say these are the Siamese twins of the New Testament. They're often found together, grace and peace. Now, I want to spiritualize it a little bit just to make our fifth point. It's a greeting that he's offering, but it's also a declaration of truth. And for you and for me, our last point then is that you, you and I, as followers of Christ, we have the promise of God's grace and God's peace. And increasing, notice how he says, be multiplied. And the brand of God's grace and peace, it's not like the world's cheap knockoff of peace and grace. It's unique. To use Ben's terms, our drip's different. It's a grace that saves us. It's a grace that sustains us. It's a peace that surpasses our understanding, the Bible says. Guards your heart and mind. It's a peace that is available at any time. Jesus is the Prince of Peace in a kingdom of peace that we've been invited to be to his throne room of peace anytime that we need. And they're only experienced in Jesus Christ. And I love that Peter adds some math to that. 
exponentially multiplied. And I pray that for us, that we'd experience God's grace and peace exponentially this year. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for all these amazing, beautiful, wonderful to a degree they're, they're unfathomable. Can't plumb the depths of the truth of the fact that we have this promise from you of grace that abounds. It, it increases. Even when we sin, Lord, your word says grace abounds. We can never come to the border of it. Lord, a peace, a peace that grows, a peace that's real, a peace that's available anytime we need. We thank you for it, Lord. Father, we thank you that we, we have the blessing of continued forgiveness. It wasn't just a one-time transaction where we realized our sin as you opened our heart and mind and we turned from that, we turned to you and now we better not mess up. No, Lord, we blow it every day and you know that. And so when we just simply are honest and real with you and ourselves, confess those things, we thank you, Lord. We have continued forgiveness. We can walk in freedom of that. We don't have to carry the, the, the burden and, and be crippled by shame or guilt. We can leave it at the foot of the cross where it belongs. Lord, we thank you that you've called us into a loving obedience. And I pray that we get that right out of and from your love for us, not for your love and not for your acceptance. We already have it. Lord, help us to view things that we get to, not because we have to. And Lord, bring us even higher that we'd want to, to serve and honor and bring glory to your name. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your spirit. We don't have to figure this out on our own but your spirit that works in us and through us. You're sanctifying us. You're making us like Christ. And Lord, you use a lot of different things. In fact, we're going to find out how you even use suffering as a tool and hardships, but it's all a function of your spirit, Lord, and help us to trust your work of faith. And Lord, thank you that you picked us. You chose us. For purpose, on purpose, Lord, may the, these things, Lord, be woven into the fabric of our heart today, be concreted and cemented in our soul as we learn and relearn and affirm these truths about us. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, I love you guys. I really do.